Okay, over the course of the break, I had several of our other voices let me know that they had something to share. So I'm going to invite Rochelle and Karen and Jessica on up. Come on up. I'm going to have Rochelle go first, and then Karen, and then Jessica. Um, lies are exhausting. <laughs> um, and for me, over the, it's been a journey over the last literally 10 to 15 years that I've been struggling with um, lies that I've been dealing with and God has been kind of bringing to surface for me. And I pictured it like a weight on my back, um, bricks. Each brick is a lie. And it's on my back and it's really heavy. And I'm hunched over and it's exhausting because wherever I go, it's there. Um, lies are something that um, I believe about myself, something about insecurity that I have, unworthiness. Um, but I also wanted to share, sometimes lies can be lies that are told to you by people or shown to you by people. And those lies sometimes are the hardest to let go of because somebody who you may care about or love tells you or shows you that you're not worthy. And um, that's a really difficult place to be. Um, you know, I know many people in this room probably have dealt with abuse or neglect. And, um, and it happens in a lot of different ways in a lot of people's lives. Um, but I think it's something that we need to recognize that are still lies from the enemy even though there are people that are speaking into um, our lives who are close to us. Um, for me, I had to try and prove that I, w I was enough because in my situation, my own mom, who divorced my dad when I was 13 years old, she walked away and there are four siblings, um, or four of us siblings. And when she walked away from my um, dad, she also chose two of my siblings to be her favorite, and I was not one of them. And our relationship broke, and to this day, I don't have a great relationship with my mom. Um, and the lies that I was told by the enemy just kind of shaped who I became, um, what I thought about myself, that I realized over the last 10 years aren't truth. And I started about 10 years ago giving those bricks back to God, unloading my backpack and dealing with each of those lies as I went. Um, one of the things that I learned in my journey is a lot of times when you have lies in your backpack and you're carrying it and something gets taken out because you hand it back to God, a lot of times you want to put it back in there because it's comfortable. You know, when you take a big load of bricks out of your backpack, you kind of get wobbly because it's really, you're used to the weight. And so to realize that it's a process and it doesn't happen immediately, and you may have to give those bricks back to God over and over and over and over again. And that's okay because he's a loving father and he's going to take those from you. Um, it was about 10 years ago at a women's retreat during the quiet time. And I was remembering this during my quiet time today. Um, 
But I was at a place where I was like, God, I really want you to take this from me and really take it for good. And I asked him specifically and boldly to give me something this weekend or that weekend to show me his love. And during my quiet time, he gave me this verse, a verse that I had never, ever, ever even read before. I didn't even know it was there. And it's from Isaiah 49, 15 through 16. It says, never can a mother forget, or never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. And from that moment on, I knew God. He loved me dearly. And um, what I would ask for you this weekend is be bold and ask him to speak to those lies that are in each of your lives. And be bold to ask him for truth that can only come from him, whether it's in the Bible and he gives you a verse, or whether it's words from Jennifer this weekend, or if it's words from a friend that you've came with. Um, God wants to speak truth. Yeah, thank you, Rochelle. Jessica, would you go ahead and come on up and stand with Karen and I? Just a feeling. Okay, um, so last night when Trina gave her picture of the porch and not wanting to walk in, I just began to have this picture that some of us have already walked in. And whether it's something we did or whether it's something that was done to us, we're in this house. And, you know, it just feels so dark in there, but what I just kind of felt was like the house is just a house of shame. We're ashamed of what has happened to us or we're ashamed of what we've done. And the thing is, there's always this peace in us, I feel like, sometimes that just is calling out for more. And we want to be free from that. Um, and so we might start opening the door or even peeking through the blinds. And it's like, there, it's light out there. And, and I'd really like to be a part of that, but I'm afraid to step out. I don't know. It's unknown to me. I don't know what's out there. And I think that not only the fear that keeps us from stepping back into light or stepping out to something new is also the enemy of our soul that Jennifer was talking about this morning uh, who will just say, you know, you don't belong out there. This is where you belong. You're comfortable here. This is something you know and you understand. But um, I just like to think that out on the porch that that Azer is there ready for us and that Jesus is loving us. And, you know, I, as I spoke this, I was telling Jennifer this morning that, you know, one of my fears growing up was just along the lines of acceptance, but sometimes it was like I didn't want to look foolish. I didn't want to look silly uh, because of stepping out like something like this today. You know, um, I, I thought, you know, I, these other people are so much more spiritual than you, so, you know, I would have that fear and I would hold on to that. But um, through just this last year, and, and, you know, I mean, here I'm thinking it took me 60 years to get to here. But, uh, you know, God just was able to help me understand that this thing that was spoken over me when I was a child had really handicapped me my entire life. A lot of my decisions through life had been 
round of that whole thing. And so when I went to my spiritual director, I said, you know, it feels like there's a wart there and I want it gone. I really want to be totally free of that. And so, you know, through the Lord and just that it's been so great um, because I feel like he has given me a great deal of freedom. And yet the enemy comes back in sometimes and wants to prick that back in and say, oh, you know, but you just have to really let it go. But um, I'm very thankful for that. And one of the things that kind of came up to me was a reminder. I don't know how many of you saw the movie Mother's Night Out. Um, but in that movie, um, there is a, a woman there who doesn't feel like she's enough. And she's really very depressed. And actually, it's a biker dude who really isn't a church guy who speaks to her a word which I think is really good for all of us today. It's something that his mother said over him when he was little. And he said, no matter who you are, no matter what you do or how far you run, Jesus will always be loving you with his arms wide open just for being you. And I hope that's what you find this weekend is that you are enough and you are worthy of his love just because you're you. Yeah, thank you. Would you stay with us? Yeah, so I felt like uh, God, just in prayer time and stuff, gave me a picture of a chessboard, uh, which was, I, I grew up playing a lot of chess as a kid. Um, I really enjoyed it and um, felt like he showed me kind of the board and it was very much so a stalemate. Um, the person was in uh, was in check, not checkmate, which that means they have a move to go, but um, the game may not be over, and felt like God kind of showed the piece, and there was a move that the board could, the person could make, um, but by making that move, that piece was probably going to be knocked out and taken away, um, and this is a distinct move that you do sometimes in chess, where you sacrifice one piece to open up a bunch of other moves, and I felt like uh, God was saying, like, uh, some of us feel stuck. We feel like we are in that checkmate. We have no moves left, um, but felt like he said, um, you have a move, and you know you do, and that move is, may feel like death. It may feel like you're putting yourself out there, um, and I felt like he painted this picture of, like, that's with community. That's with vulnerability um, of people, <laughs> because it does feel like death at times to step into vulnerability, to open ourselves up, um, to be vulnerable to attacks from all different sides. And um, felt like I, in this picture, like looked up and saw God there. And he was sitting arms crossed, not like in an impatient way. You know, when you play board games with some people and they're like, it's your turn, hurry up. It wasn't that by any means. It was just a patient, I'll wait, but it's your turn. And you know the move that's there. And felt like God was just speaking like, Yes, it's going to be painful to make that move, and you don't know what doors it's going to open, but it's your move. He's not going to move us out of the stalemate. Um, He's calling us to step into vulnerability, and it's that move into allowing others in, into allowing ourselves to be exposed, where Jesus is going to say, yeah, I'm going to open up a lot more of belonging for you, but it's your move. It's your turn to go. It's your turn to step out. Uh, Stay up here for a second. So as I was, I don't need this, I need this, you need this. So 
As I was uh, listening to each of these women come to me and say, I think I have a word, I think I have a word, I think I have a word, there was something growing in me. And, and so you heard Rochelle talk about the bricks in the backpack and letting them go. And Karen talk about being in the house of shame and peeking out and wanting to be out, but being kind of afraid to step out on the porch. And, and then the word from Jessica of, it feels like checkmate. You feel totally stuck and yet there is a move and it's your move. And it's a move that might feel like sacrifice, but it's a move that opens up what's next. Um, so I just felt like it would be appropriate for us to pause and to invite a time of prayer. You might remember that I said early this morning that discipleship is about invitation and challenge. To some of you, this might feel like an invitation. To some of you, this might feel like a challenge. Um, but it's possible you need boldness. It's possible you need to recognize it's your move. And it's possible that you just already know it's your move and you need to answer the invitation. But I'm going to ask those of you who are knowing and feeling and sensing that the place in your heart is that you're stuck or you're afraid, um, you're recognizing what God is saying, if you would stand, and I'm going to ask Jessica to pray over us and especially over those of you who stand. So I recognize it takes vulnerability, but if you know that's you, would you stand and allow us to pray for you? And thank you. If there is someone near you who is standing, would you just place a hand on them to be present with them um, as we are praying, please? Okay? Okay, Jessica. Holy Spirit, our hearts are tender. For some of us, it may feel like our heart is literally jumping out of our chest. Um, it may feel like standing up right now is even the first move, and that's scary. And so, God, I just pray that you bless us in this time. Um, and I just pray a, a blessing of, of courage over these people. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray um, that within us, courage isn't, isn't necessarily um, the strength that we all of a sudden have. It's, it's the willingness to step out in that vulnerability, to step out in that weakness and trust you to move. And so, God, right now, we plead for every single person standing right now. We ask you to move um, as we step in that um, first movement that you're calling us to, um, to be vulnerable, to be exposed, to step out of shame, to release from um, these shackles. I just pray that we can feel your presence giving us peace through the entire time. Because um, it may feel scary, uh, not just for a day, uh, not for one move, but for many moves. And I just pray that uh, you continue to give us strength and courage to walk in that. Um, and right now, God, I pray for those people. Um, maybe it's somebody standing next to this person right now uh, that's just going to surround us and say, like, I see you. I see the stuff you're trying to hide, and I love you. I accept you. Jesus, I pray for healing through people. I pray for acceptance. I pray for belief that despite the fact that we've come out of the house, that we've exposed ourselves, that we've been seen, um, that we can still know that we're loved and we're accepted. Um, Jesus, we invite you to heal these wounds. We invite you to shape us. And we pray you continue uh, to challenge us to step out, to make that move. Though it may feel like death, it may feel like sacrifice. Give us the hope of what is to come. Jesus, I pray hope. Maybe somebody's standing here and they've stepped out before and they've said, I've heard this message. I've heard step out, be vulnerable, be real with people, and I've been hurt. Jesus, I pray for hope that this is not going to happen again. I pray for hope that there is change. I pray for hope that there is freedom. I pray for hope that there is the ability to be known deeply for who we are. Jesus, empower these women. Uh, give them the courage. Give them the strength um, to walk in that. 
to be able to see that um, in all reality, the more they expose their true self, that is who people love. (laughs) People have actually been loving the core of who they are and have been disregarding the masks and have been saying there's something behind that mask and I want to see it. And so I pray as they reveal that, um, they can just feel loved in the process. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us directly. Thank you that you are a God that gives us grace when our step may be a little tiny baby step. Although we want to take a big giant leap, uh, we only have the strength for a tiny step at times. And thank you for your grace in that. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. So I'm debating. That's why I'm standing up here looking at the clock. I'm just debating. <laughs> there are certain um, there are certain cultures that we're a part of that have unwritten rules. Uh, for many of us, we learned this in our families. Um, there are things that we do and things that we don't do, and we're not always told what they are. We learn them by trial and error. Um, This is true of workplaces. This is true of social situations. This is true if you think cross-culturally, and that's maybe where we get the the clearest picture of what can be kind of subtle on the home front. Uh, For example, if if, if you travel to the Middle East, as I've learned, you don't want to show the bottom of your shoe um, because that's very disrespectful. At least that's what I've learned. Now, here, a lot of us sit with our legs crossed, This is extremely disrespectful in the Middle East. Am I right? And so when we we have a team that's going to travel over there, part of what happens is they get some cultural training on, don't sit like that. And you're like, but I'm just sitting. And and you can step back and you can argue, I don't mean anything by that. But the the person who is seeing the bottom of your shoe, for them, it, it does mean something. And so there are these unwritten rules that you don't know unless somebody tells you, and we've been in certain circles that are not very good at telling us what the unwritten rules are. So whereas this morning we were talking about the hurdle of our fear that we're not worthy and the need to believe the truth that we belong to God, right now what we're going to talk about is our fear that we will do something wrong and get rejected when we don't even know what it is that we did wrong. Am I in a situation, am I in a setting where there are some unwritten rules that I don't know yet and it leaves me walking on eggshells, not really knowing how to behave, what to say, what to do, because in any given culture, there are taboos. And so some of us have experienced, and and I think even as Jessica was praying, some of us have experienced that in the Christian culture, there are unwritten rules that nobody has told us. That in certain Christian cultures, there are folks who like Eve have added things to what God said, and then they're sitting and they're waiting in judgment for us to make a mistake, but we don't know what that mistake is. And so even our Christian culture hasn't necessarily been a safe place. And this is a hurdle to belonging. When we're afraid that we don't know the rules, or we're afraid that we don't know what's expected of us in order to belong. Uh, Just like I did last session, I want to give you a different title than what I put in your book. Because again, I titled it according to the lie, and I'd like to title it according to the truth. And the truth is that God gives us a blueprint to live by. God gives us a blueprint to live by. Uh, 
when I'm afraid that I'll be rejected because I don't know what's expected of me or because I fail at doing what's expected of me and I have reinforced experiences that showed me that when I didn't know what was expected of me, I had some flavor of rejection or judgment or something that even if it was just an eyebrow raise, I got the message that I wasn't quite fitting in and has um, brought up this, this fear of rejection again. It's like guessing in the dark. And it's exhausting. It's tiring. And we, and we go through and we're, we're trying to guess the right thing so that we can belong. But, but we're trying to earn our belonging, which is tonight's message. So close your mouth, Jennifer. Go the other direction. This morning's message. So the pressure to never make any mistakes so that you can control whether or not people reject you. Right? Trying to please all the people all the time. It's exhausting. I had an experience growing up with a a person who was close to me in the sense that it wasn't like one classmate that was going to be in another class the next year. It was somebody who was going to be a part of my life for the long haul. And this person just kind of decided not to like me for reasons of their own, for reasons that I could go into. We just did not have a good relationship. And I longed for a good relationship. And so this thing of if I can just do the right thing, If I can just understand this person's unwritten rules and figure out why they're not liking me, then I can make them like me. Now, what I've learned later in life is that this particular person's unwritten rule was don't be too needy. So all of my trying to get this person to like me was pushing this person farther and farther away. And I will say that as an adult, this person pursued a conversation with me and brought healing to the relationship and restoration to the relationship that continues to be healed and continues to be restored. So the the point isn't, poor me, I had this broken relationship. It's actually a great healed relationship. But the point is, there were years when I was guessing in the dark. Guessing in the dark at what this person wanted so that we could be in relationship. And the problem is, that's the wrong foundation for belonging. Belonging doesn't come from our guessing the right thing to do so that somebody will accept us. That's the whole piece of our identity. You and I are worthy of belonging just because we are, and it's not up to anybody else to express to us what our value is. We find that in God first, and then we're able to go out and engage with people knowing that we belong to God. And what that person says or does to me isn't the... um, hmm, The words are failing me at the moment, so I'm trying to see where they are in my notes. That's okay. They don't need to validate me, and I don't need their validation. I want to be in a relationship with them, and a healthy relationship, but it's not about who I am or if I'm okay or not. It's just about are we going to be in a relationship or not. So these unwritten rules, these fears that we'll do something to get rejected, we're guessing in the dark, trying to please all the people, but God wants to show us a way to live that is both freeing and honors him because, you see, sometimes my guessing in the dark is trying to please God, Right? This, this trying to belong is trying to belong with God. And I think, well, if I just do the right things for God, then God will be pleased with me. But the reality is God is already pleased with me because I'm his daughter. And out of him being pleased with me, then I do the things that he's calling me to do. So what is this way that he's given us to live, this blueprint that can allow us, that, that teaches us how to be in relationship with others? And then I'm trying to think, if this is a tonight point or a right now point, they all get muddled eventually, ladies. Let's go with it. There are, um, there are healthy boundaries. So 
there are times when we see somebody and we're in relationship with them and we know what would be a blessing to them and we do that. That's a gift. That's a strength. That's honoring them. That's loving them. There are other times when we're in relationship with somebody and we know what they would like to have us do and we know that that would go against what we really want to do and we know that we're doing it because we want them to feel okay about us and so we do it. It might be the very same action. One of them done out of a desire, out of intuition that God has given us, relational wholeness, and we want to bless them. I could do the same thing because I'm trying to meet their needs and I'm trying to fill what they need and I'm not allowing Jesus to be what they need because I'm trying to rescue and I'm stepping in or I'm living into a mask to try to do what they want and to try to please them, but it's not actually really who I am. Do you hear the difference? And so the way to know the difference in those things is to know what our boundaries are. And so... Part of the teaching that I've heard on this over the years is we need to know what's in our yard and what's in someone else's yard. So when we're facing this hurdle that we're afraid we'll do the wrong thing, we're judging whether or not we've done the wrong thing based on the person's response to us. So if they're mad, I just did the wrong thing. If they're happy, I just did the right thing. What I've done is I've just made them the judge of whether or not I was true to myself. And that's not going to work. And so when I recognize that I have a yard and, and the only thing I can control is, is what I choose about my yard. And my yard has a fence. That's my boundary. And my yard has a gate. I can choose to go through that. I can choose to let people in. But I'm aware of what my yard is. The people around me that I'm in relationship with also have a yard. And what is in their yard is up to them. Okay. So if I'm in relationship with somebody who is easily angered by me and I'm constantly trying to make them happy and I'm constantly trying to do the thing that makes them respond in a particular way, I'm trying to control what's in their yard. Because their feelings and their responses, their anger, their sadness, their disappointment, that's in their yard. And you say, yeah, but Jennifer, a friend cares about their friend's feelings and I wouldn't purposefully do something to make them angry. No, I wouldn't purposefully do something to make them angry, but... I will recognize that just because they got angry at me does not mean I just did the wrong thing. That maybe right and wrong isn't even the grid that we need right now. That, that their response and their feelings are in their yard and I trust that Jesus is in their yard with them and that it is not my job to be Jesus to them. And that in my yard, I'm choosing what I will do, what I will say, how I will respond, and that's in my yard, and that's between me and Jesus. And if I find that I have done something or responded in a way that doesn't honor God and the Holy Spirit convicts me, I can make an apology. That's still coming out of my yard, and it's the decision that I make. The apology isn't because they felt angry and so, oh, I must have done something wrong. It's that I know that God convicted me that I did not handle that in a loving way. And so when we are faced with this fear of what if I do the wrong thing, it's kind of hard and it can feel kind of harsh at times. But this idea of healthy boundaries, and I was in a, um, I was in a love and logic class when my kids were little learning how to be a parent. And there were two things that they said, there were lots that they said that really struck with me, but there are two that I want to share right now. The first one is get really good at saying what you will do. Get really good at saying what you will do. So instead of saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, say, I will talk with you when you can make your voice calm. Right? You need to calm down and be quiet. <laughs> I, we can have this conversation when you're able to speak with me respectfully. Okay? So get really good at saying what you will do 
and you've got to get your sail out of their wind. You've got to get your sail out of their wind. So kids are going to blow, and they are going to try to catch your sail, and they're going to try to get your boat flying, and, and they can do it pretty well. But you've got to get your sail out of their wind. So as parents, we get good at saying what we will do, and then we get out of the way when the kids have their response. Well, let's play this forward into adulthood. Friends, you and I need to get really good at saying what we will do. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what the relationship is that's in your mind as we're talking. But, but for me, that looks like saying, I will live according to the way that God is calling me to live. I will be loving. I will be forgiving. I will be humble. I am not going to do what I think you want me to do because you need me to be a certain way for you to feel okay about yourself. That's in your yard. And when you start telling me how angry you are at me or how bad you feel because I won't meet your needs, I'm going to get my sail out of your wind. And I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be praying that Jesus meets you in that place. I'm going to be praying that Jesus holds you so close. Friends, I've got this picture in my head when I'm really struggling with, um, with, with a person in particular. And I just say, Jesus, I choose to forgive because this person doesn't know what they're doing. And I release this person to you. And I see Jesus' hands come down and hold this person. And Jesus' hands are so tender. And Jesus loves this person more than I do. And Jesus knows what this person needs. Jesus knows what healing is necessary here. Jesus knows what's motivating this person to respond in this way to me. And I just release my hands and I give that person to Jesus. And I probably have to do it four or five times a day. But, but saying, this is what's in my yard this is what's in your yard, and I'm not going to sit over here spinning, trying to control what your response to me is, even if it's rejection, because it's not in my yard, and quite frankly, I can't ever control it. So I'm going to release it and let God and you do business in your yard. And if for a time that means that we can't be in a relationship, because like you might say to your kid, I will have this conversation with you when you can be respectful and talk in a kind tone, that comes up in our adulthood, doesn't it, at times? And it is okay to have healthy boundaries and to say, this is my yard, these are my boundaries, this is my fence, and my gate is open to you when you can talk with me respectfully, when we can have an adult, mature conversation about this. So rather than getting pulled into, I have to do the right thing to belong, we get pulled into, how is God calling me to act? How is God calling me to decide? And what is the truth about that? So Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17 some of my very, very favorites when it comes to relationships. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, the enemy's lie is, I don't know what's expected of me, and so I can't figure out, and so I'm always in this guessing game to try to do the right thing so I can belong with the group that I want to belong with. 
And the truth of God is that he gives us a blueprint to live by. And his blueprint will instruct us in every given situation that we're in. And so let's just break this down. And I want to break it down from the bottom up. So in verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the first thing is that whatever we are deciding in our actions, in our words, in our responses, as we are in relationship and in community, in the places where belonging happens with God, the way that we talk to ourselves, honestly, friends, my self-talk is really not kind. And so sometimes the preaching I need to be doing is, Jennifer, how are you talking to Jennifer? <laughs> are you being humble, kind, compassionate, forgiving to Jennifer? <laughs> Right, but So whether you're looking at this in terms of your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your relationship with yourself, are we holding up the plumb line that God is truth and coming back to that place that everything I do is done in the light of the fact that he is true, that he holds up a plumb line, and that I am aligning myself with him, that I am doing it in his name, and that he is the one that then empowers me to make the choices that I need to make to live in the way that he's calling me to make, to live. Give thanks to God the Father through him. There's this scene in the movie, um, The Chronicles of Narnia, when Edmund, the brother who betrayed the other siblings, is rescued from the White Witch, and he's in Aslan's camp, and the White Witch comes to claim her due, which is his life, because he's, he has betrayed them. And in all the written history of Narnia, there is a rule that the betrayer's blood belongs to the witch. And so she comes in, and she demands to get the prisoner back who's been rescued, and Aslan invites her into his tent to talk. And, and you, everybody's worried, everybody's looking, and there's all this going on, and they have this scene where they focus in on Edmund, and his eyes are just on the lion. His eyes are just focused. His whole, everything about him is on the line, and he's not looking at the witch and he's not looking at the other Narnians to see if they blame him. He's not looking at his siblings to see if they're ashamed of him. He's just looking at Aslan. His eyes are just focused on Aslan. I may have done the wrong thing. I will probably do the wrong thing again. But let us do everything we do with our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says, let, our, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, the author is the person who starts it, and the perfecter is the person who finishes it. And so we keep our eyes on Jesus because in the swaying storm of our life and in our fickle and in our come and go and the decisions that we make and the responses that we need to come to after that, the one thing that holds true and steady at all times is that Jesus is the one who started our faith and he is the one who finishes our faith. He's the author and perfecter. And so we keep our eyes on him even when the accuser might be really, really loud. So when whatever we do, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jumping to the top. What we talked about this morning. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Friends, it has to start there. If, if we don't recognize that we're his holy people, chosen and dearly loved, then we can't go on to do the things he asks us to do because quite honestly, this is a hard list to live by. I'm not saying this blueprint is easy. I'm just saying we don't have to be driven by what others want us to do. We can be driven by how God wants us to live. And here's what he says. Clothe yourselves. That means that you choose to put on. You choose to put on compassion. Compassion is when you put yourself in the other person's shoes and you say, what would this look like from their perspective? If what they are expressing to me is their reality, then how does this feel to them? That doesn't mean that I have to cross my boundaries 
and fix them and rescue them, that just means that I at least make the effort to see things from their shoes and understand with compassion that this is hard for them, even though they might be the one who's betraying me. I seek to look with compassion. So I choose to put on compassion. I choose to put on kindness. Friends, there are times when it gets nasty, and we need to not meet the nasty. We need to stay with kindness, and that is hard. That is very hard, but that's the blueprint God gives us. So we choose to put on compassion. We choose to put on kindness, which includes our words and our tones and what we post on social media and what our facial expression is like and what we write, that we are engaging with kindness as always a filter of is is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to do. Does it fit under kindness? Not enabling, not rescuing, not taking care of, not fixing for somebody else, but is it kind? Some of us, this is really mixed up. Because we were raised that kindness meant taking care of somebody else's feelings. We were raised to believe that if you're upset, it's my fault. I haven't been kind if you're sad. And friends, that's not true. Somebody might get sad because I've been unkind, but just because they're sad does not mean I've been unkind. And some of us need to ask God to untangle what these words actually mean. What is kindness and what is enabling and being enmeshed in something that's pretty messed up? And somebody might say, well, you're not being nice. I remember when my kids were little, um, my, when my youngest son got an opinion at about the age two, <laughs> my oldest son started coming to me and saying, he's being mean to me. He's being mean to me. Well, well what is he doing? Well, he doesn't want to play trucks with me. He's being mean to me. And some of us need to, to, to learn that we've believed that along the way. That, that, that we're the one being mean if we just don't want to do what somebody else wants to do. See, my younger son just had an opinion. It wasn't mean at all. He just didn't want to play trucks. But some of us were raised to think that that was our responsibility. So choose to put on compassion. Choose to put on kindness. Choose to put on humility. Friends, humility is such a powerful and valuable characteristic because what humility says is, I could be wrong, but this is the best I know how to do. And if I'm wrong, I will circle back and make it right. But for now, knowing that I could be wrong, this is the best I know how to do. See, the opposite of humility is the place that says, I know I'm right, I know I'm supposed to do this, and it comes across as hard. Humility says, I still need to make this decision that you might not like, but I recognize that we are all on a journey, that your perspective is different than mine, that we are all seeking to follow Jesus and we don't follow perfectly. And so if I'm wrong, I will circle back and make it right. I will apologize. But I can't not do what I believe is the right thing to do just because somebody else doesn't like it. So humility has, is a posture thing. And it's not thinking that we're bad. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves less. It's, it's just being more aware of who God is and being willing to be wrong, being willing to look foolish, being willing to look wrong and know, you know what? I'm grounded in Christ. My identity is grounded in him. If I look foolish to you, if I look sinful to you, it's between me and Jesus. And humility says, I'm doing the best I can. I could be wrong. I could be right. I'm not saying you're wrong. You're right. I'm saying this is what I have to do. This is what's in my yard and I have to follow God to the best of my ability. So we choose to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. There are times that there are hard things that need to be said, but there are ways that we can say them. And gentleness is a key word that can help us along that way. That no matter what situation we're in, no matter what community we're a part of, what 
cultural differences we're bumping into, that we, we, we speak with gentleness and we approach with gentleness. You know, when we talk about conflict resolution, we talk about um, recognizing the other person's interest. So if we're in this conflict and we're going like this, did not, did too, did not, did too, that there's this breakthrough when with humility and gentleness, we will admit that we can see where the other person is coming from and recognize the thing that is important to them and the reason why they're defending their position to such an extent and recognize and verbalize, I see whatever it is you see. I see that you're afraid of this breaking down. I see that you're tired of this. I see that this is your interest. And in gentleness, I'm, we're going to keep talking about this because this is my interest. But I see you. I recognize your interest. And I'm willing to be gentle in the way that I approach this and not come at this in a must-win, fight-or-flight kind of situation. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I'm not going to even unpack that one right now. Um... Sometimes it takes waiting, friends. Sometimes it takes waiting on God. Sometimes it takes waiting while God does the work in us. Sometimes it takes waiting on someone else and the work that God is doing in them. And so we wait with patience. We bear with each other and we forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Friends, I am just on the cusp of a new understanding of forgiveness. And I don't feel like I really get it. But what I do get is that when I am stuck in bitterness and resentment, the way out is forgiveness. When I am stuck in anger and my anger is poisoning me, the way out is forgiveness. And for some of you, that might be the sacrificial step that Jessica was talking about. That might be the pawn that God is calling you to sacrifice for the greater picture. And that is to choose forgiveness. And even if all you can say is, God, I choose to forgive and believe that they don't know what they're doing. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We choose to release that person to God. We don't say what you did is okay. We say, I'm not going to hold it against you. And I'm going to allow you and God to go from there. I'm going to release you. I'm not going to hold on to strings of unforgiveness. I'm going to release the strings and I'm going to forgive you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a great description of what love looks like. It's another list that's not easy to live by, but it is a blueprint to live by. And then we see in the remaining verses that as it goes on to talk, it's talking about fellowship. It's talking about being together. It's talking about what we're doing here this weekend. That as we seek to live as God calls us to live, he will empower us and refuel and refill us as we do fellowship and community with one another. So when the enemy comes at us with the fear and the lie that you're going to do the wrong thing and it's going to be your fault that you get rejected, we stand on the truth that God has given us a blueprint to live by. And as long as we're living by his blueprint, we might make mistakes, but our value isn't about what's happening in the other person's yard. Our value is about what's happening between us and God. Somebody said once that the pain, <laughs> the fear of pain is worse than the actual pain you fear hear that again. The fear of pain is worse than the actual pain that you fear. Somebody else has said it this way. God doesn't give us grace to live through what we're worried about. God gives us grace to live through what we're living through. So if there's a situation that you're afraid, if I respond this way, if I quit trying to take care of what's in their yard, if I if I just try to live according to how God calls me to live and quit trying to take care of this person and figure everything out and be their rescuer, 
then that's going to hurt and it's going to break relationship and it's going to feel like rejection. And can I just say that from your vantage point, it looks really painful. And yet if God is calling you to something that is obedience and you obey, when you get to that place where you actually obey and the place where the fear is that you were afraid of and that you were fearing, you will find that God meets you there that his Holy Spirit meets you there. It's, it's the porch that Karen was talking about. You're afraid of what's on the porch, and yet when you come out on the porch, you will find that Jesus is there on the porch, that he is there to meet you there, and that while you may walk through some separation, while you may walk through some rejection, while you may walk through some things that you always felt were the antithesis of belonging and what your heart wanted, you will find that Jesus meets you there and that he is present and he is enough, and he will carry you through the pain and your fear of the pain actually hurt worse than the pain when you were walking through it because when you were worried about it, Jesus isn't in our worry and our, and our projecting fear. Jesus is in our, hear me, he's with us, but the place where he brings us grace is when we are in the experience. And so we walk in faith. You guys are hungry and we've been talking a long time. And I have one other thing I want to share with you, and it's my story. So I'll make it quick, and maybe I'll touch back on it tonight. Several years ago, at this women's retreat, I was not yet the pastor of women's ministry, and I didn't have any responsibilities at the retreat. And God and I had been on a journey, and I had been asking him the question of, what was going on with me that I kept doing things I didn't want to do and not doing the things I wanted to do? And as he and I just pressed into that, I felt like what he said was, Jennifer, just sit with where you're at right now and, and wait on me. So there was a verse from Exodus 14 when the Israelites have left Egypt and they're at the Red Sea and the Egyptians now are chasing them and they're stuck between the Red Sea and the enemy. And Moses says, do not be afraid for the Lord, the enemies you see today, you will never see again. You have only to be still, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still, the Lord will fight for you. So when God was stirring up in me, some of the things that he's probably stirring up in some of you, the word that he gave me was, okay, you see it now, but you don't have to do anything about it. Just be still. I am fighting for you. There's something going on in the spiritual realm that you can't see and you can't fix and you can't figure out. So Jennifer, you be still and I'm going to fight for you and you'll know when something shifts. <laughs> Okay, how do you sit there? What does that look like? So this is the journey I'm on with God. I come to women's retreat. I get up early one morning. I'm sitting over in Pacific View Lodge in a hallway in a chair, and I'm just doing some my morning kind of Bible reading, journaling stuff. And as I'm journaling, what starts to pour out is memory after memory after memory after memory of all the times that I felt rejected all the specific instances of this person walked away from me and this person walked away from me and this person ridiculed me and this person moved out of my house and all the times that I felt rejected and I'm writing and I'm journaling and it's page after page and I, there's tears running down my face and I finish and I'm like, so what do I do with this? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you sit with it. Not only do you sit with it, you sit in it. Because until you feel the pain that is what's real, remember this morning I said that these truths take root in our gut, and until we feel what's really happening there, it's just a head exercise and not really a heart transformation. And so God was inviting me to sit in the pain of what I thought was rejection while he just allowed the dust to settle and for me to know what it was really feeling with so that I could know what it was that he was wanting to heal. Well, one of the people involved with one of the stories in my journal happened to be at retreat. 
And uh, I was walking in, and she was probably about 20 feet behind me later that evening in front of me. And so I'm, I'm looking at her back as we walk in. And I said, there, see, God, there's just another example of how I'm not enough. I, I wasn't enough. And I sensed his spirit say, you weren't enough for her needs. I said, come again. Jennifer, think about the situation. She left because she had needs that needed to be met that you couldn't meet. You weren't enough for her needs. You weren't God. And all this time, I had been taking as personal rejection the people who walked away from me looking to fill their need for belonging, and they didn't find that I could fill their need for belonging because none of us can fill each other's needs for belonging. And I took as rejection their journey to try to find their need to be filled with belonging that they needed to find in God. And I stood there literally almost just like stopped walking and just was like, okay, because I realized this whole perfectionism piece, it's me trying to be God in people's life. It's me trying to make them happy. That's his job. It's me trying to make them well. That's his job. It's me trying to protect them. That's his job. It's me trying to figure out their problems. That's his job. I've been trying to be God. This was probably 10 years ago. For 34 years, I was exhausted. None of us can hold out as God for long. We just can't. And so as I sat with that over several weeks, didn't really know what to do with it, there was another time that I was walking in Salem and I was asking God the question. I said, okay, it's clear to me that my life goal has been to be God for people. All the roles that God needs to be, that's been my goal. So that's clearly not working out for me and I need a new life goal. So what's my new life goal supposed to be, God? What does this look like? And what I sensed he said was, your goal is to be the beloved and you already are. You already are. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. That our goal is to be the beloved, and we already are. There's nothing to work for. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us a blueprint to live by. That even though it's applied individually in so many different ways, we can come back to it as a plumb line so that within our yard, we are making the best decisions we know how to make in the communities and workplaces and families and friends that you have placed us in. God, thank you that from a place of knowing our identity in you and knowing that we can make choices about what we do without having to know the unwritten rules, we can enter out and we can be a blessing to others, not just afraid that they'll reject us, but we can be a place of accepting them. Would you continue to speak these truths throughout the day? In your name, amen.